Hello, I want to welcome all of you to the 13th episode of the Montana DSA podcast. Uh, this is a, a series of podcasts uh, produced by the Helena chapter of DSA, Democratic Socialists of America. And as I said, this is our 13th episode. Our guest today is a person that I'm sure many of you know uh, because of his uh, public uh, activities over the last uh, couple of decades. Uh, concerning issues that are very important, of great importance to Montanans. Our guest is Jonathan Modell. He's an attorney in private practice, or he was an attorney in private practice from 1981 through 2013. And in that role, he authored nine citizen initiatives and defended Montana's campaign finance and campaign practice laws. And then in June of 2013, he was confirmed as Montana's commissioner of political practices. He served in that role until May of 2017. He has received honors from the Montana Justice Foundation, the Montana Public Interest Research Group, Common Cause, the Montana Bar Association, and the Montana Trial Lawyers Association. He can tell us more about his own history, but I also know that uh, in probably a very early part of his life, he was uh, working with uh, and for Ralph Nader a consumer advocate. So I want to uh, just mention that Jonathan published an article on March 8th in the Daily Montana called An Attack on Direct Democracy Straight from the Legislature. And I'd like to just turn to John, welcome him to our podcast and ask him to uh, tell us more about those concerns um, that you have and that you expressed in that article. John, good, good morning. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here. And I apologize to you again, um, Frank and, and Marshall, for my inability to get my Zoom working on my computer this morning. So the people listening are going to have to do this by voice. And um, I apologize to them as well. Um, so the article that you mentioned, Marshall, was an article asking the um, or just notifying the public that there is a bill moving through the Montana, the 2023 Montana legislature that is, um, is a direct attack on the ballot issue process. Um, and it urged people to contact house members because it, the, the bill has already cleared the, uh, the Senate. Um, Senate bill 93 is set for hearing in the House State Administration Committee at 9 a.m. on um, March 21st, which is which is Tuesday of of this coming week, we're 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 um, recording this on on March 18th, so three days three days from now, 19th, yeah, 20th, 21st, which is Tuesday. Um, so I don't know. Maybe when you're listening to the podcast, that time has passed. Um, if you're still within range, you might want to contact your legislator. Um, Frank, you, should, should I now describe what Senate Bill 93 is? Yeah, tell us more about it, because although quite a few of our listeners, I'm sure, are up on what that is, as well as many other bills, they may not uh, know exactly oh. about uh, this Senate Bill 93. Okay, well, it, um, it, so Senate Bill 93... Um, obviously because it's got the SB number, Senate bill originated in the Senate. And what it did was it rewrote the 
existing law that governs ballot issues governs ballot issues, and that law um, had a, um, a a poison pill in it. Um, House Bill 651, which was one of the products of those um, conference committees in the 2021 legislature, uh, put some radically um, intrusive and harmful uh, changes in Montana's ballot issue process. weren't subject to a hearing comment. They just got stuck in. And those changes um, were, were two. Uh, so the nine ballot issues that I wrote, I worked through three state agencies. You go first to the legislative services. They take the language that you're offering on behalf of citizens, and they make sure it conforms to the exact language that they want on bills in Montana. They, they use a device called the bill drafting manual. So they offer non-substantive suggestions for you to change it, but you work through legislative services, you take their suggestions, and most of the time you take them, and then you file that that version of the law um, that you're proposing to place on the ballot so electors can vote on it. You, you, you send that to the Secretary of State who advances it to the Attorney General, who then uh, assists in writing the yes and no uh, statement that appears on the ballot. And I, I know listeners are familiar with that. When you see a citizen ballot issue and you vote on it, there's a there's a small description of it on there. That's the language that the AG um, puts on. The rest of it, the, the citizen advancing the initiative does. And that is the language that appears on the petition that is presented to electors if enough signatures are gathered, then that initiative advances to the ballot and gets voted on yes or no. Well, what what that bill did that was that advanced at a conference committee late in the 2021 session did is for the first time it advanced um, executive branch agencies from ministerial functions on ballot issues to actual substantive functions. The attorney general under that bill now has authority to determine whether or not the ballot issue is unconstitutional. If he determines it is, he can he can take the ballot issue out of the process entirely, and that citizen cannot advance that language. Um, and he did just that in 2022. He removed a ballot issue. The sponsor of the ballot issue had to challenge the removal. Um, by filing a case in the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court reversed the Attorney General, but it was too late. He couldn't sponsor, couldn't get the the issue on the ballot anymore. He, there wasn't enough time to gather signatures. The second thing that HB six five one did was it allowed the Attorney General to unilaterally insert on the on the, on the ballot petition itself language saying that. The, the ballot issue interfered with the business interest of a particular business in Montana. And you can imagine what that would have done if payday, if the reform of payday lending had been under this new authority. Um, it would have changed the way that the ballot sponsor was able to put that particular ballot issue on the ballot. And what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with it is that lawmaking um, reserves under our Constitution, under Article 3, Section 4, 
it says flatly, the people may enact laws by initiative on all matters except appropriations of money. The people may enact laws. It doesn't say the people um, with checks by the attorney general um, may enact laws. That the legislature inserted in there. And that's wrong. I mean, it, you, you can challenge it on constitutionality, but it's just flat out wrong in terms of respect for the roles that people play in lawmaking. And, Mark, and Frank, I feel like I'm talking too much. Go ahead. Well, no, I, I, that's, that's really good background on, on how we've gotten to this particular uh, Senate Bill 93. But, you know, I know from uh, reading your article and having been involved in the Citizens Initiative process myself, that uh, we have a hundred year history uh, of, of citizens taking action in this way. And because of those uh, ballot issues, we have lobbyist disclosure, a ban on revolving yeah. door lobbying, reasonable contribution limits to candidates, a tax on tobacco, a ban on payday lending practices, and a ban on cyanide heap, heap uh, leach mining. All things which uh, some of our uh, more, uh, uh, well, conservative uh, corporate legislators uh, did not want to have happen. And so when they're adding uh, now in Senate Bill 93, uh, unbelievable restrictions in scope and, and imposing a $3,700 filing fee for ballot issues, uh, it sounds like this is uh, um, a, a deep attack on the citizen ballot, ballot process that needs to be uh, fought. It is, it is, and it's it's just, it, but even though you can say it is legally wrong, it is unconstitutional, I, I think it goes more than that. It is, it is morally wrong. It is unfair. It, there is a relationship between um, people and the way they're governed, and you go all the way back, you remember the freshman philosophy when, I think it was Rousseau who argued you're freest when you're in jail because you've agreed the law. You've, you've agreed to the way we, we govern ourselves. Well, we, we have representative democracy in Montana. We have a hundred, and it's a large size group of 150 of us meet up at the legislature and we pass laws, but that representative democracy is not the end all of lawmaking. The people enact laws directly by themselves. And so to have this type, type of a, 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 how could 150 legislators forget what their role is and be unfair by trying to take away the role of citizens? Um, it, it is preserved in our constitution. And as you said, it's preserved in our hundred year history. And in the past, it's played tremendous um, political roles in this state. It, it is credited, the 1912 um, Anti-Corruption Act is, is credited with, with really being the most significant um, uh, ben, or, or means by which uh, corporate control was weakened in Montana. So it, it's just wrong. And now you hear this. You hear legislators who listen to something like I just said, or something that Frank has said to them or something that another citizen has said to them. Well, they say, um, you know, we're just not going to 
vote against it, even though we think it's wrong, because the courts are going to strike it. And therein lies the hidden agenda, I think, on this thing. How much can you put on our court system? The more we ask our Supreme Court to do, the more we ask the judicial system to do, and even though we've got Article 3, Section 1, the power of the government of the state is divided into three distinct branches, legislative, executive, and judicial. So they're distinctly separate. But the more you, you ask our courts to shoulder, the more you play into this argument that the courts have to be reined in. And so now we've got these things that they're doing to the power of citizens to act directly. And Senate Bill 93 not only takes what HB 651 does and rewrites it and, and gives it even more credence because now it's a new law and reorganized, but it adds to it, as you said, that $3,700 filing fee. And if you think about it, if the people can act, can pass laws, and the legislature can pass laws, then why isn't a legislator who offers a bill, why don't they pay a $3,700 fee to create a law? Why do citizens have to pay a $3,700 fee? They have a co-equal right pass laws. They pass their laws directly rather than through representative the government, representative government, they have that right. So now you add that fee and then in addition, they've, they've amplified the way, um, the way that the legislature can write what they think about a citizen initiative on the face of the petition. So that petition, which is citizens, a citizen or a group of citizens talking to their fellow citizens, the electors, that's the face of the petition that the elector looks at and decides whether or not he's going to sign. That is supposed to be the communication from one citizen to citizens as a whole. And the legislature and the attorney general aren't supposed to be in there writing on that. They're, it's not their law. It is the citizen's law. To me, I find that just as wrong as the $3,700 filing fee because you're, you're interfering with a form of communication which is constitutionally preserved. It's direct communication. It's direct democracy. And so that's wrong, too. And then finally, you know, and this, this is probably the least understood of what this thing does, is it changes all the timelines. The, that all of those nine initiatives that I worked on with the agencies performing ministerial functions, and that was through multiple attorney generals, multiple um, secretaries of state, and multiple people in legislative services, that was all done in a very, very tight time frame so that the citizen proposing the initiative could get the petition and go out and gather signatures. And now under Senate Bill 93, the lobbyists know exactly what they're doing. They've created, they've loosened up all those tight time frames, and they've added lots of time. It probably doubles the time now that these agencies are going to spend, and the legislature are going to spend handling a citizen initiative. Um, and again, that's wrong, because how does an average citizen, 
how do you move your language through these executive branch agencies when they're going to rewrite your petition? And now they can take all this time to hold it. It really interferes as well. So you got any questions on any of that? Well, no, I was, I was just going to say, well, in addition to those more details of how that's an attack on, on the power of citizens to, uh, to make laws, that they uh, think that the uh, either the legislature uh, has avoided or doesn't want to. Now, with the Republicans uh, having this uh, supermajority in the legislature, um, this Senate Bill 93 is only one of many, many uh, challenges to citizens uh, or to uh, you know, basic things like you might say science, when they define sex in a way that goes against uh, ordinary uh, genuine science in our in our days, um, but I was going to ask if if you thought that this uh, movement in Senate to get Senate Bill ninety three is really a part and parcel of that larger movement um, uh, for dark money and corporate power, uh, trying to make sure that uh, citizens are sidetracked in their concerns, and those efforts other efforts in the Montana legislature this time to uh, uh, put more restrictions on the judiciary. You might say, you've mentioned that this would uh, possibly lead to more uh, uh, legis you know, challenges in the, uh, in the courts, but there are all sorts of other challenges to um, the independence of the courts in, in saying that, uh, for example, that Article two of the uh, Constitution on privacy uh, does not, as the Supreme Court of Montana said, apply to abortion issues. Uh, and, and so they're, they're taking over uh, the roles of both citizens and of the court system. So, I mean, it sounds like this is uh, Citizens United um, in some hidden form uh, giving corporate and, and partisan Republican control over so many things that ought to uh, have checks and balances. Well, I agree with everything you said, but okay. So I've been working on direct democracy issues, um, but I started my law practice in 1982 and almost immediately began lobbying in the Montana legislature. So I lobbied in the 80s, the 90s, 2000, and then, of course, I was commissioner for four years. Um, and during that time, if you went into the legislature in the 80s on direct democracy, your strongest allies were going to be the Republican conservative populace from eastern Montana. They believed in direct democracy. Um, and, of course, the Democrats did too. Um, and, and they believed in, in citizens and they, they would have believed in the rule of law. They would have believed in the constitution. And Frank, so when you say Republicans now, it, it, it isn't, and I know this has been written to death, but the, the Republicans now uh, are not the rule of law populist oriented. And, and they weren't all like that, of course, but there were a number of them. That style of Republican is gone. And what you have now is, is the corporatist Republican. 
the institutional Republican. And they're the type of Republican. That, and again, they aren't all like that. They're, there's a, still a smaller group of Republicans who don't feel that way. But nevertheless, they pick where they're going to fight. And if they see something like Senate Bill 93, um, and they don't think they've got enough votes to kill it, they're probably just going to go along with it, and it's going to fly through. Um, and that leads to the second part of your question. Is there a greater purpose in this besides just passing something which is, which is morally um, wrong, which is completely unfair, which disrespects the history of Montana and is constitutionally in, unpermissible? Yes, there is. I think it's part of the greater agenda to weaken our courts. Um, the more you ask our courts to do and the more they have to strike laws, the more vulnerable they are to being postured as, uh, as something that is, that is acting wrong. You know, and I know that cuts both ways. You can say the legislature is acting wrong, but it just becomes a, um, a PR campaign. So I don't like to see things that are completely unconstitutional. They just don't, don't make any sense pass through the legislature um, because we're adding another burden to our courts. And, um, and that the more you expose uh, a political entity um, and, the, and the more you ask them to do and the more they do, the more then it is said that they're controversial um, and that exposes their, their, their power to review. And um, in this case, it's completely unfair. The courts are not controversial. The courts are not um, acting improperly. It is the legislature, which is uncontroversial, which, which is controversial because it's disrespecting the other uh, venues of power that are established in Montana. Um, and doing it deliberately, I think, with bills like this one. So in that sense, this is part of a um, more uh, ideologically radical uh, initiative and movement to. Uh, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's what played out. I mean, if you read some of the more scholarly analysis of these like democracy and change chains, this is part of the movement that's been going on for almost two decades in the United States where the moneyed interests rather than just fighting on, on one issue at a time have, have gone deeper with think tanks and, and, um, and uh, issues like this, which not only have an immediate purpose, but a long-term purpose by isolating the courts. Um, well, you know, just as you just as you were about to say, uh, the book Democracy and Change by Nancy McLean, I was thinking, isn't that what she was describing in her book, uh, Democracy yeah. and Change? Yeah. And uh, another, book, uh, another book that comes to my mind is one recommended to me by uh, retired Justice Jim Nelson, uh, who uh, said we, every, every lawyer and every person should read We the Corporation. Um, yes. Which is, yes. Which is, you know, describes those larger forces that are uh, active. And I know that uh, you have been 
uh, dogged in, in tracking down these uh, anti-democratic uh, uh, forces when you were the uh, com commissioner of political practices, um, you know, having gotten hold of uh, all these dark money uh, materials that were hidden down there somewhere in Colorado uh, that showed that uh, lots of people in Montana uh, were being influenced in their elections by secret money. Uh, and then, of course, you uh, pursued that very diligently and uh, eventually were responsible for indicting the uh, Senate uh, leader at that time. He challenged it, but the Montana Supreme Court upheld the, uh, the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the decision to uh, hold that person uh, responsible for the crimes that he was committed. So it's a deep, deep thing. And so do you imagine that you would be involved or groups that you know would be involved in challenging the constitutionality of Senate Bill 93 and similar bills? And secondly, if um, if those are actions you know, by persons with legal expertise that might be taken, what are other things that might be taken by citizens to counteract these uh, regressive laws that do uh, diminish our democracy here in Montana? Well, um, so just to go back on that, Frank. So I think the seminal thing that happened was on April 1, 2016, a, a Helena jury of 12 people chosen the way all juries are chosen at random. Um, although there's a process by which attorneys talk to them and remove those with prejudice, that sort of thing. But that jury of 12 people returned a verdict and found the former Senate president, Art Wittig, um, had illegally coordinated with that national right to work group that had provided political support to him and a number of other candidates. So I think that's the significant thing. Now, the Supreme Court sustained that verdict but it was the 12 people. And that's why, I mean, I, I have such confidence. I might not agree with what Montana people do directly all the time, but I have a lot of confidence that a decision by Montana's people as a majority, I can respect that and live with it. Um, even if I don't agree with it, I will respect it and live with it. Can I feel that same way about our representative democracy right now? I don't. I don't think it's functioning within its role. And once the representative government moves out of its role and does things like it's doing with Senate Bill 93 and, and other things that infringe on other political roles reserved by our Constitution, then, then you know, we... We've, we've got a problem because um, citizens have to be able to respect the institutions that they've created. And if you go back to democracy and change, that was the whole purpose of what all these things are. If you undermine people's faith in the government, if you undermine the way in which government functions properly, then you've achieved what the corporate entities want, which is a weakening of government. If I'm saying it and a conservative is saying it for different reasons, you've weakened our government. And who then is the dominant political force if you weaken our government? Corporations.
that's who's left standing. And, and that's why they win. Um, they win if they pass the law, they win if they don't pass the law, um, because the ultimate goal is to weaken government. You mentioned before that um, in the past, Republicans, in especially in eastern Montana and also even in the Helena area, uh, such as uh, Gene Donaldson, who was a Republican um, that you may remember from maybe 20 years ago or so. I do. Um, I do. These people were um, reasonable uh, and committed to understanding the Montana Constitution uh, and its respect for citizens' essential role as we the people, as the real power. And what what was it that happened in Montana so that um, Republicans and and other people who used to be more um, you know appreciative of citizens' role and 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 the role of democracy, whatever happened to uh, that Republican Party uh, and and those folks who uh, uh, now are leading these SB 93 efforts and, and other efforts, which people have said are basic challenges to uh, parts of the constitution that we, we, that we cherish, including you know, the right to privacy and how it has protected the right of women to uh, ha uh, have abortions in Montana uh, or other, other kinds of uh, uh, challenges that are now going into the legislature. What, what do you think happened in Montana? And what, what are some of the remedies that might might uh, be something that we can uh, participate in to uh, renew and you know, reclaim uh, democracy uh, as a uh, vibrant entity here in Montana? Well, I think it's a combination of, of a very old political practice, which wasn't reinvented recently, but that's gerrymandering. So there's an instinct in both political parties to preserve the the um, the districts in which they have power. So you gerrymander to create safe safe districts. We've um, we have an independent um, uh, redistricting committee in Montana, which um, which takes away the worst of it. We're not uh, we're not on the East Coast or or places where it's very, very bad. But nevertheless, our districts generally create safe districts for a Democrat and safe districts for a Republican. And that means that the new, um, the real election in most of those districts is the primary. And that is what that National Right to Work group understood in 2006 when they began to, to recruit and support um, uh, very conservative and um, uh, almost radical candidates in these Republican primaries. And we're successful in doing that. And those, that approach has carried over to this day. So I think what people have to do, particularly if you leave in a, live in a Republican district, is, um, is understand that the real race in your district is is Republican or Democrat. I don't know which type of district you live in, but um, I have family in, in the Bitterroot, and they well understand that the race that is of importance to them is the Republican primary. 
and that may be the race that you have to get active in. Um, and that may be difficult for some Democrats um, or um, independents, um, progressives of any sort to, to deal with. But that's the reality um, of politics in Montana. If you want to create a more respectful Republican caucus, then you're going to have to go back to the Republican primary and and recruit a candidate who is more respectful of the different sources of power in Montana, direct democracy, Democrats, the, the courts, um, that representative, you're, you're only one of, of three independent political powers. The power of the government of this state is divided into three distinct branches, legislative, executive, and judicial. And um, that legislative branch has ignored that and is seeking to um, to concentrate that power in one branch, legislative. And so if you're going to deal with that, you're going to have to deal with it in the Republican primaries in the state of Montana, at least under the system we have now. Well, you know, as John, as you mentioned in one of your articles, you're neither Republican nor Democrat. And that also describes my situation. I'm not a member of either of those parties, but I have been involved in efforts to, uh, uh, in, in various primary, well, primary and general elections to uh, work for candidates. And one of the things that we discovered back in 2015, 2016, when uh, a lot of us were um, working to um, have an alternative to the corporate Clinton, Hillary Clinton candidacy. Uh, we we supported Bernie Sanders and we put, we put Bernie Sanders on the ballot here in Montana and Bernie Sanders won the Democratic primary in Montana. In fact, there are good studies say that he was probably the most popular candidate to defeat Trump uh, back in 2016. Well, at any rate, what I'm saying is one thing we found, or what I didn't say was that one thing we found was that Although there are 56 counties in Montana, the Democratic Party only had operations of central committees in 30 of those of those uh, uh, counties. And so, if if there were to be alternatives to some of those uh, ideologically uh, corporate Republicans um, who are taking actions that uh, you have described as really detrimental, uh, it would seem that even though you and I are not members of the Democratic or Republican Party, that uh, given the fact that those two parties seem to dominate the, uh, the landscape, that Democrats are going to have to get off uh, of their rear ends and start uh, doing some good organizing all across Montana in ways they have not done for uh, many, many, many years. Well, um, Frank, I might disagree with you a little bit on that. If I were living in a heavily Republican area, I would join the Republican Party, not the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I think the reform has to come in the Republican Party, not in the Democratic Party. Um, that's where these legislators are coming from. And yet human beings in Montana are wonderful people. You, I, I mean, I've hunted on their land um, and uh, I've listened to them. They're good people. And 
if if you are embedded in a community, um, and I know the Republican values that we see now espoused in the legislature are not good, but I don't think that's the values that that are necessarily held by the bulk of Republicans. Um, and tough as it is, and as much as you you might have to deal with um, with values you do not share, you most of us face that in our families. Um, we, we don't, families don't necessarily share all the values um, universally, but that doesn't mean you give up your family members. That means you love your family members and you still deal with them. And so uh, as strange as this may sound, um, you know, you can still vote the way you want on the ballot. That's secret. And nobody knows the way you vote on a ballot. But the time you spend and invest in a family, in a political family, in a community, you have to really look at where you can best invest that time. And if you're patient and considerate, um, you, you, you should, if you're in an area that's entirely Republican, that's the, that's the community of political power that you want to influence. And so you shouldn't place yourself outside of it automatically, but by, by joining something that doesn't have influence, you should, I, I think you should move into where you can influence what do you think about that, Frank? Is that a ball? No, that's that's a great challenge uh, because, well, first, for most people, um, they're not involved in either the Democratic or Republican Party in any significant way. So that I, they they attend the, the they do not attend the uh, the monthly meetings of either the Democratic or Republican Party. I do uh, find myself. Well, I didn't find myself, but I added myself to the Montana. Republican uh, uh, listserv. And so I get emails from uh, Don Kleinschmidt uh, almost every day. And I can say that it would be a challenge for me to find a way to become acceptable uh, to Don Kleinschmidt, but I do know lots of good people and, re and Republicans. And as you said, um, the situation is that we may have to you know, sort of work from within the Republican Party. That's a different. That's a difficult thing for for a lot of people who have um, been so um, distressed by what has happened currently in the Republican Party. So I, you know, I did run as a Democratic candidate back in 1980, and I actually would have run in the uh, general election against Gene Donaldson, except that I found out that uh, I was in violation of the Federal Hatch Act which meant that if your salary was paid for by federal funds, you could not run in a partisan election. So I, I looked uh, looked that law and I found I had to either get a new job or that. But for most people, it would be, you know, getting active in ways they have not been before. And like you, I, I, I would say, I've met people in almost every city of Montana when I worked, except for Plentywood, which I never got to. And I found beautiful, wonderful people there who care about each other, full of love, and and they 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 could be the future of the state. Uh, Jonathan, uh, I want to Frank, give you the thing. chance to. No, go ahead. <clears throat> yeah. 
you should go to Plentywood. There's a library in there. On, and, and that was the corner of Montana, as you know, where the, the political discussion was the most intense. That, that was at one time they had a communist party that was dominating in that corner of Montana. And a lot of that material is in the library in Plentywood. So it's a fun place to visit. Well, I've heard about Plentywood just recently. A person was on Facebook saying, you ought to really come to Plentywood. It is a beautiful place and people are good there. And so, you know, inviting people to come over. So it would be, I think I'll wait till yeah. uh, the snow. I wait till the uh, roads are better. <laughs> we'll, we'll go to visit Plentywood. John, I want to give you the chance to yeah. uh, wrap up our discussion here. Uh, thank you, but to, um, you know, finally say whatever else you might have uh, wanted to say about uh, democracy in Montana or about Senate Bill 93 or about challenges to the judiciary. Well, I, I guess I would say this, Frank. It's, it, 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 you know, I'm, I'm 75 now. It's a little late to change. Um, but I do think I made a fundamental mistake in, in my youth. Um, you know, I marched in the first Earth Day. I marched in the anti-war marches. And I got so focused on issues that I, I developed a, um, um, like a kind of the political parties don't matter attitude. And that was wrong. I, I should have stayed more involved in the political parties. And I don't know if I can learn new tricks to this day. And I really don't have to because I'm very satisfied with the Democratic representative and senator that represent me. Um, but I would encourage people like me who became issue focused. Um, we have to now understand that issues aren't driving these things anymore. It's the political parties that are driving it. And much to the detriment of the country, I think. And that it is time for us to get back involved in the political parties. Um, it, it's where the action is happening now. And um, that's the reality of what it is. And it, it, we need to, to rethink it and we need to, to get involved. And um, I would encourage everybody who's listening to consider that as an option for their time. So thank you. I enjoyed this, Frank and, and Marshall and, and um, your listeners. And I'm so sorry I couldn't get my Zoom working. Jonathan, we want to thank you for your uh, conversation today with us. Uh, I want to thank everyone who is listening to this. This is the Montana DSA podcast put together by the Helena Democratic Socialists of America chapter. It's our 13, 13th episode. And um, we hope that this thoughtful discussion from Jonathan Modell, former commissioner of political practices in Montana, has been helpful to our listeners. Thanks for all of you for listening.